Galatians chapter 5. Let's go and open prayer as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity just to come together and be with you. We ask that you guide and lead as we hear the message today and that you will have what you want to be shown. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians 5, starting at verse 2 and reading through verse 12. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the, by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ... In Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calls you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be, of, be none otherwise minded. But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. For I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is this offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were cut off which trouble you. So we want to look at this a little bit. We're continuing on the theme of grace and law, which is pretty much what Galatians is all about. And Paul is continuing this statement about the Judaizers that had come in to try to change the Galatians' beliefs. And remember the Judaizers are those people that would come in after Paul preached the great message of grace, and then they would come in and said, Paul didn't give you the whole message. You've got to obey all these, these rules. And so everywhere Paul went, if you read the book of Acts, you see this, and you see it in his, in his writings because all these are against the Judaizers that come to his churches that he set up. He would go in, he'd preach the gospel, and he'd get them, all, he'd get them saved, he'd get the church going strong, and then these guys would come back in and say, well, you're just not... Paul's message was okay, but... He didn't give you the whole message. You need to, you need to do these things. And we've talked a lot about the, the things that even today are passed on into our churches. That here's the rules you have to obey. And we've got to remember, as Paul said earlier in this chapter, it's by grace. We're saved by grace. And we've talked about it. We, we've said it over and over. Because Christ is in us, he will live out of us as we die to the flesh. And we will obey the law. Not because we have to, not because I'm trying to, not because it's going to make God happier, but because he's living in me, working out of me, and I will obey the law. And I will get better and better in my walk with God. And Paul is saying, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And he's saying, if you want to live under the law, and that's what he means when he says circumcision. He means following the Jewish religion, the sacrifices, the, the 613 laws that God gave to them to show that they are a sinner. He says, you want to live under that, Christ doesn't mean anything to you. Because if we're somehow saying that I can get, I can get righteous by my, by my works, then Jesus died for nothing. He came to this earth, became a man, went to the cross for nothing if we could do it on our own. If we could have done it on our own, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come, and he would have just said, go do it yourself. And, all, and the majority of us do not have the strength to do it ourselves and obey all 613 rules, and we would be going to hell. But Jesus came so that we could have the grace of God and be justified. 
And we've talked about justification. Justification is the greatest thing that God does for us. He in heaven says, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he says, you are perfect. He declares it in heaven that we're perfect. I hope you can grab hold of the importance of that. When God looks at us, because we are in Christ, he sees his children. He sees perfect children. Now we know darn well we're not perfect. <laughs> but God in heaven has declared us perfect. He has put us in Christ and he says, these are my perfect children. Satan comes to accuse us and he goes, who are you accusing? Those are my perfect children down there. You know, I can't tell you, I worked with Sunday schools and, and children a lot and you know, almost every parent, if you told them their child misbehaved, told them not my child. <laughs> You know, I heard that, I've heard it once, I heard it about a thousand times over 20 years. You know, not my child. My child's, my child's an angel. <laughs> I don't know why any parent would ever say that because I know that they don't believe it. <laughs> but they don't want to be embarrassed so that it would never be their child that caused the problems. But God's kind of that same way. He's declared as perfect. And when, he, when Satan comes and says, you know, hey, your children are doing this. Jesus says, I do, it's under the blood. And God says, that's my child. Perfect. Perfect child. You know, perfect child. I know they're growing, but they're perfect because I said so. God said so. He's the king of the universe, and he said so. We are being sanctified. We are growing to be perfect, and we will spend our entire life growing to be perfect. And I've said it over and over. If we look back over our life, we should be seeing progress toward that perfection. Will we ever get there? I don't think so. If we do, maybe we'll be like Elijah and, and uh, Enoch and just be taken right straight to heaven. But uh, I don't think, I, don't, I know I don't have any fear of ever getting to that point of being too perfect to go to straight to heaven. You know, I know I've got lots of problems and I'm sure most people in this room have lots of problems that they need worked out. But the question is, are you being sanctified? Are you really getting closer to that perfection? There should be a, a looking back and saying, I no longer do the things that I used to do because God took them away. You know, and that's the great benefit of walking the Christian life. The walking the Christian life is easy. You let God crucify the flesh and you go forward in what he tells you to do because he's working through you. you know, when I hear people say, well, I'm working real hard or I'm striving real hard to be good, my answer is always the same. Quit striving and be crucified. Let God crucify that flesh and you will change. And you'll find, if you look back over your life, where you get successes are where God has taken it away from you. you know, because if you're struggling and you're fighting it, that's your flesh trying to do it. And God says, your flesh isn't going to stand before him. It's not going to stand. And this is what Paul's saying, you know, you want to do. He says, for I testify again that every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law. If you want to depend on law and rules, you've got to keep all of them. From the day you're born to the day you die, you have to keep every single law if you want to depend on the law to save you. Now, I wouldn't want to even depend on the law from this point forward, much less from everything in the past. 613 laws God gave to the children of Israel to show them that they're sinners. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments, much less the other 603. Most of us will break several of the Ten Commandments. And then there's a bunch beyond that that God says, okay, somehow you managed to keep these. Let me show you the rest of them. And he says, you have to keep all of them to be able to be acceptable to God. And since Adam and Eve fell, we are born with a sin nature. 
This is important for us to always remember. We don't sin because we're sinners. We sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are sinners at birth. We have the sin nature in us. We will sin. And anybody who's ever dealt with a little baby and a little child knows that that child will do things wrong. <laughs> and I'm sure all of you are just like me. You taught your kids how to, how to misbehave, didn't you? You know, we all went out and purposely taught our kids how to misbehave. <laughs> no, they just automatically misbehave because they are sinners. They are sinners. Jesus was the only one that was born without a sin nature and lived the perfect life. The only one. Adam and Eve were created without a sin nature and sinned. The world keeps wanting to tell you, well, you know, you're, you're bad because people teach you to be bad. You know how many times I heard that in college in almost every class? It was ridiculous. You know, people are teaching others to be sin, you know, to, to do things wrong. And I go, how do you figure that? Well, you, they made rules. I'm going, yeah. Well, rules teach people to misbehave. That's the logic they use. <laughs> that because you give a rule, you've taught them to misbehave. You know, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Because their idea is that you, if you were given a chance, you wouldn't do anything that hurts yourself. The only problem is we're sinners. <laughs> we'll do plenty that hurts ourselves, and even at worst, we'll do plenty that hurt others that get in our way of doing what I want to do. And if you've got everybody trying to do what they want to do, which means that they're going to hurt anybody who gets in their way, you've got a lot of conflict in the way. God gives us rules so that we can be with other people, that we can have fellowship with other people, you know, can you imagine what it would be like if there was nobody that had love, nobody that had any rules, no etiquette rules? You know, our, our lunch after service would be a disaster. <laughs> you know, somebody run off with all the best things and say, it's all mine, you can't have any of it. <laughs> I didn't bring it, but it's mine. <laughs> I want it and you can't have it. But isn't that what the flesh would do, given free course? It's mine, I don't care. This is the problem with the sin nature. And this is why Paul says, if you are wanting to live under the law, you have to live under every law. And Christ, if you want to live under every law, he'd wasted his time. And this is what she says. It says, verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen by grace. So Paul's saying, if you are justified by the law, Christ is worthless. And the key to this is, Number one, you can't be justified by the law. The law does not justify. The law condemns. If I want to live according to the law, I will be live a condemned life because I will violate the law. And it says if you really want to live under the law, then you are not standing in grace. And this word fallen, I love, that it, I love this word fallen. It means to fall from a place from which you cannot keep. To fall from a place that you cannot keep. You're going, you've fallen from grace. You wanted to live under law, you couldn't stay there, and you fell from the grace of God. God is not going to share his glory. He's not going to share his glory with the grace that he gives us to live in liberty with the desire to live by the law and live by the flesh. And we've talked about, I'm not saying the law is bad. <laughs> there is nothing bad about the law. The law is good. It, 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 is, it comes from who God is. God says you shall not steal. That's because he will not steal because he is God. 
You, sh you shall not lie. Why? Because he does not lie. He tells the truth. In the relationships with people, you don't covet. Why? Because God is love. He doesn't covet. He's not going to want what other people have. Besides the fact that he can create it, but he doesn't want what other people have. He's happy when others have things. Have you ever ha seen somebody that got something really nice, and, you're, and instead of being happy for your friend, you're going, I wish I had one of those. I mean, they got such a nice car, house, you know, outfit, whatever it might be. And instead of being happy for them, you're miserable because you don't have it. You know, God is wanting us to love each other enough to say that I'm happy for whatever anybody else has. If I don't have it, God obviously didn't think I needed it or could use it as well as they could. So we want to be happy for one another. We want to, we want to live in Christ because we don't want to fall. We want to live in grace. And then it says, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. In, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. We, through the Spirit, have a confidence, a hope. And, and remember in the Scriptures, when it says hope in the Scriptures, it is not, I, I think maybe I want hope, you know, that this might happen. It is literally confident assurance. We have a confident assurance through the Spirit for the righteousness that's coming our way because it's in Christ. In Christ. All through Paul's epistles especially, he uses the term be in Christ, put on Christ, be in. He really is exhorting us, be in Christ Jesus. Because that is our righteousness. And when he says put on, it's that idea of putting on a very comfortable garment that is just so comfortable and luxurious. He, he literally almost talks about falling into it. You watch those TVs where somebody puts on that nice, soft uh, robe and just falls back into the bed or, you know, or the chair with their robe around them. That's really what he's picturing. That put on Christ. It's luxurious. It gives us peace. It gives us a great strength because we are in Christ. When God looks at us and we are in Christ, what does he see? He sees Jesus' righteousness. This is one of the reasons when he looks down at us, he says, come on up. Come on into my throne room. Come into the throne room of heaven. We realize how precious that is that we can go before the God of the universe, present our request to him, because what does he see when we come in? The perfection of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our unrighteousness. He sees people that he says, I want to be with you. If he saw our sin, he'd say, get out of here. You're not welcome. But he doesn't see our righteousness because it's filthy rags. He sees the righteousness of Christ because we are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty for all sin and all the consequences of sin. Do you realize that when he died, he took all of sickness, all of sin upon him because sickness is a consequence of sin. He took all of sickness upon him and we're out there to be putting on Christ. Put on Christ. Oh, the freedom when you really realize how, what you've got when you've got Christ, when you're in Christ. You've got God seeing a perfect child. You're giving your body crucified to him so that he can live through you. And as I've always said, I love his plan because 
he does the work and we get the rewards. I love God's plan. I don't have to work to get the rewards. I'm going to go to heaven. He's going to say, here's all the rewards I, you allowed me to work through you, and here's your rewards. Because anything I do in the flesh isn't going to stand before, his, before him. It's going to burn away. If I do it, it burns away. If he does it, it's, it's treasure for eternity. And you know, the hard part is it's so easy to do even good things for God that are in your flesh. I've talked to some pastors and I you know, go, how many times do we as pastors get up in front of our church and we do, we do a great service, there's nothing really wrong with the message, it's a good message, it's a, it's a biblical message, but we did it. Why? Because we're told that when we get here on Sunday morning, we have a message to deliver. Everybody in the church expects us to stand up and give a message. So we're going to give a message no matter what we have. Now pray, we pray every week that it's us, not us and it's God. But there's times when I know every pastor has done it, including myself, gotten up and given a message. Those who are spiritual know that they, when it's the pastor speaking, and you know, again, may not be a bad message. It may be a good biblical message. You might even get something out of it, but it's not the spirit. And then there's times when you know it's the spirit speaking. And this is where we are. The spirit is in us. He gives us power to live. Jesus, when he was transfigured, or excuse me, when he went back to heaven after the 40 days, he told the disciples to go wait for the Spirit, that the Spirit would live in them. When Jesus was here in the flesh, he could only be with a certain number of people at any one time. The Spirit can be with every one of us every moment of every day and is if we are a Christian. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he is in us, giving us the power to live the power to live the way God wants, the power to say what he wants us to say. Those times when you just don't understand why you've got to do or say something and you do it and you find out it was the Spirit leading you. And I don't know how many times you've experienced that. I experience it frequently where I'm going, I just have to go do this. I don't want to necessarily, but I've got to. And you go do it and you find out it's what you needed to do. The time when you would say, well, I'll just visit this person tomorrow. They're in the hospital, visit them tomorrow, and you just get this urgency that you've got to visit them today. And you go and see them, and that night they pass away. You know, because the Spirit knows what's going on. And we need to be able to listen to the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace that He gives us because He's in us. The power that He gives us that we can pray for the sick and they can be healed. You know, that is not just gifts that God gives to one person. Every single Christian can pray for somebody and have the Spirit heal them. Does that mean he's going to heal every single person you pray for? No. But you know what? He's out there wanting to heal people and bring them to him. And we need to have faith that God can do that. Always be willing to pray for somebody. Always. Because they need that prayer, especially if they ask you. The worst thing you can do to somebody when they ask you to pray for them is say, okay, I'll pray for you. Because if you're like me, you'll forget that night when you're getting ready to pray. <laughs> I will pray with somebody. When they ask me to pray, I'm going to pray with them at that moment because otherwise I'm going to forget. I'll try to remember later on, but you all know how absent-minded I am. You tell me that somebody needs to be taken off the prayer list or added, and I told you to write it down or I'm going to forget it because that's how absent-minded I am. <laughs> so I will pray for somebody immediately, and if it's a really big thing, I'll write it down in my Bible so I'll have it in my Bible. But we need to be learning to pray for others, care for others, keeping that going forward with them. Because this is so important. The Spirit, the Spirit lives in us. 
For in Jesus Christ, no matter what we do, whether it's uncircumcised or circumcised, it meant nothing. If I want to put myself under the rules, it meant, it meant nothing. If I wanted to not be under the rules, but I'm not in Jesus, it meant nothing. I have to be in Christ. I have to have him indwelling me. And this is the power that we have. When we become Christians, you know, we've shared this before. The, the, the sinner's prayer is a great, great prayer. Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. I know that you died for it. Come and live in my life and be my Lord and Savior. That's a wonderful prayer. But they're not magic words. Just saying those words do not make you a, a, make you a Christian. You must believe the words. And you have to even believe more than just cognizant ex existence. Well, I believe that Jesus lived, I believe that he died, is not going to get you saved. Because Peter says, even the devils believe. You know, they know that there's a factual Jesus, and they know that he's the Son of God, but they don't believe in a way that brings bring salvation. We need to believe he lived. Not only that he lived, but that he lived to, to be the perfect sacrifice. This is the great advantage when we get into the books like Leviticus and we start seeing the sacrifices and how Jesus fulfilled the sacrifice for sin. As the lamb would be taken and they would place their hands upon the lamb's head and place their sins upon the lamb figuratively. And the lamb would then be killed. The picture of what Jesus did on the cross when he became sin on the cross. Do you realize that he became sin and the father had to turn his back on his son? Put darkness over the world so nobody would see his sin, son in sin? And it's during that period that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, the father turned his back on Jesus because Jesus took our sin upon him. That's what we need to be able to believe. Jesus took our sin. He died in our place and then victoriously rose. Sin, death could not hold the God of the universe. And he rose again in power and wants to live in us. The gospel message, it's pure, it's clean, it's strong. That's what people are to hear. You know, how many times do Christians get this mixed message and say you've got to be good somehow? You know, I've heard it. I've heard it from Christians. I've heard it even with street evangelism things where people say, you got to get good. You got to do these things. No. You know that you're a sinner and you know that Jesus paid the price and you accept it and you are saved. You'll get to go to heaven for eternity because of one simple act. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He clothes me in his righteousness. When God declares I'm righteous, he clothes me, and then he will make me clothed in righteousness when I die. Righteousness when I die. The power of the gospel is amazing. It's not go do a bunch of good, good works and you'll be okay. It's not get saved and then go do these 20 rules and you'll be okay. It's get saved. Accept Jesus Christ. And then he changes us. He changes us. Verse 7 Paul is starting to get after them. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you obeyed, that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes from him that comes not from him that called you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's saying you started out well. Why did you stop running? <laughs> Who persuaded you that Jesus wasn't enough? 
And the sad thing, there are so many Christians in this country, especially, that have been persuaded that Jesus isn't enough. They've got to go do something else. Got to do something to be good. Got to do something to please God. And we've talked about it. There are a lot of churches out there that will say, okay, you get saved by Jesus Christ, but then if you want to stay a good, good Christian in this church, <laughs> you've got to dress this way. You've got to not read these books or watch these movies or, you know, you've got to do all these things. Now, some of what they say that you should do are probably pretty good things to do. <laughs> But if God hasn't worked on your heart to get rid of them, they're not going to do anything for you. They're just putting a bunch of rules on you. you know, it, is, it is good to get away from a lot of things and put God in its place. But it's not going to make God love you anymore when you do this. It's great for our testimony, possibly. <laughs> you know, it's good that we do good things for our testimony as long as God is leading it. People look and say, well, that's what a Christian is supposed to do. And you know, it's kind of funny that the, the world has a stronger vision of what Christians are supposed to be than Christians do. You know, you've probably heard it. How can that person claim to be a Christian? Look what they did. They lost their temper. Well, I'm in trouble. If you're losing your temper, it can get you to be a bad Christian. I'm in trouble because I've lost my temper many times. You know, but the world looks at that, doesn't it? You know, look what they said. How could they have said that? The good news is that we're covered by Christ. That doesn't mean we go out and do whatever we want. <laughs> we don't trample the grace of God under the, un, under the, un, under the floor and into the mud. He wants us to live a godly life, but he wants to be the one that lives that through us. And we want to see that. Paul, Paul is criticizing. And then the last thing Paul says here in this section we're reading, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you are none otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be, I pray, brethren, and I, brethren, I yet preach, if I preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then, it, then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would that they were even put off that trouble you. Paul is defending his people and saying, I'm not sure who it is that's teaching you all these bad things, but I hope that God cuts them off, which literally means to take their life. Now, Paul is saying, I want them gone. They deserve, they, they are troubling my children. They're troubling my church. They deserve to be totally eliminated, taken out of the picture. And Paul's saying, if, you know, look, if I was preaching the circumcision, I wouldn't be going through persecution. We as a church need to be ready to stand for God in all decisions. And it's getting harder and harder to stand for God. It really is. The world is becoming more and more dark. You know, we look around us and we're becoming very much like the church in Rome in, during the Roman times, a persecuted church, and we're headed that way. And I want to encourage everybody in our church, get ready. Get ready for the persecution that's coming because it is coming. And if we do not prepare our hearts to stand for God and ask God for the grace to stand, we won't stand. When you're looking at somebody who's ready to kill you and you're, don't, and you're not prepared to stand for God, you're probably going to turn your back on God because self-preservation is going to want to start. We need to be ready. We need to be ready for everything that's going to come our way. The Supreme Court made a decision this, this uh, Friday that's going to hurt churches. We need to be ready as Christians to stand because we don't know exactly what's happened, but we know what's happened in the past, and we can be ready, and we need to be prepared. We need to stand in his grace, in his strength, because there's going to be things happening.
We need to be ready for churches to lose tax-exempt status and have to pay taxes. Not get credit, not get credit for your gifts to the church. You know, are we ready for that? I hope we are. Pray. Pray for it because it's going to come. You know, one day you might not find me here. I'll probably be arrested because of what's on the tape and everything else on the internet because it's, you know, I've said plenty of things to be arrested for when they, when they make the law changes. So one day somebody else will have to stand up and take my place to, to be ready to preach the gospel. But we need to be ready. We need to be saying, I am going to take that stand. How do we know? By the grace of God. We ask God to give us that power, that strength. Well, I've talked many, I've been reading re re Fox's Book of Martyrs. And that book is so many places where God gives the grace for people to stand for what they go for being a martyr. We need to start praying for God's grace to be ready to withstand that I will, because I would like to say, I would love to say, I know I'm going to stand. I don't know what I'm going to do when it, when it comes. By the grace of God, I'm going to stand because I've trusted him long enough that I know that he's faithful. But I'm, in my own strength, who knows what I would do? And I don't want to try it in my own strength. It won't work. So that, any kind of on a downer note, but I want to encourage our church on that because times are coming. Times are of trouble are coming. We need to be ready. We need each other to be ready. Because if we're standing alone, we will not be strong. You cannot stand alone and, be, and, and stay strong. You, we need each other to be able to encourage one another when, when try, times get hard. And we need Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're not sure, then you need to say the prayer that we've talked about, but believing it. I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Jesus paid it for it. Ask him into your heart and then make him your Lord and Savior. The hardest part we have is making him our Lord and Savior and repenting. <laughs> The beginning part, repent because I deserve it. And the last part, making him Lord and Savior. Because he doesn't want to just be our Savior. He wants to be our Lord. All right, we're going to close in prayer and we'll sing a couple more songs. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we've had to be with you and to, to worship you. We ask, Lord, that you will give us strength. You will give us help. So much coming our way, that so much troubles and trials. And Lord, we ask you to give us strength and power. In Jesus' name, amen.